0: The following is an Auburn Network production. You are on the line. Live on ESPN 1067.
1: You're on the line here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday afternoon. It's Tuesday, October 4th, 2022. You're on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Byrd here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika Sports Leader. little cloudy today, still nice weather, nice temperature. It's supposed to be nice all week long here in the Auburn Opelika area. So, hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday afternoon. Again, Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, with you for the next two hours here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We've got a great show coming up for you today. Some more Auburn football conversation. We're going to take a look at the SEC right now. See who's who's winning, who's losing, where the standings are. All that good stuff. Who's for real, who's not around the SEC. Obviously talk about the Atlanta Braves a little bit. Then in hour number two, we're going to talk to Trey Wallace. He covers the SEC for OutKick. We've been having him on every Tuesday afternoon. So that is the schedule for today. Carter, happy Tuesday, man. How is everything?
2: Oh, it's great. It's great. I'm happy to be here. Uh, I just there's a feeling in the air for uh, for me that uh, interesting things are going to happen here in what four or five days. Yeah, I mean there some
1: decisions are going to be made. I have a feeling with with uh, some Auburn football people and look. We, we all know what the inevitable decision is at this point. I think it's just a matter of when and, and how they do it and what the next steps are after that. Uh, we'll get into that. As we go on today and as we go on through the week as Auburn prepares to take on Georgia in Athens on Saturday for their first road trip of the season, 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. How are you feeling right now? What are your thoughts on Auburn football? Brian Harson, the whole future of the program, we'd love to hear from you. Join in, Be a part of the conversation today. Be on the line. 334-321-1390 and I want to start out with a conversation and a topic that I thought about today because as I was preparing for the show and I was looking at Auburn, sitting at, you know, looking at their record, they're 3-2 and through five games, right? Uh They're 3-2 and through their first five that they played at home as they get ready to go on the road to take on what might possibly be the best team in college football, right, playing Georgia. And when you look at this record – and if you were to isolate it from everything else, this three and two record is it's not great, but it's not horrible, right? And the the idea that I had was was this, and it's more of a question that I want us to discuss. And I'd love to get your thoughts on it as well. Three three four three two one thirteen ninety. Here's the the sort of question and idea that I want to go into here are Auburn fans more disappointed in the 3 and 2 record so far this season or everything that has happened behind that 3 and 2 record Because there's a lot to go in on here. You can go in on the 3-2 record and say, look, between Penn State or LSU, you had to win one of those at home. We talked about coming into this season where you had to go 4-1 or 5-0 with as tough as the schedule is in the SEC. You had to get off to a hot start at home to make this season successful, right? You can look at the 3-2 record and you can be mad at that or... Do you think they're more disappointed on how it has happened, everything behind the scenes, the year and a half we've had with Brian Harson? Is that more of the disappointment, or are you strictly looking at the three and two record and say you gotta do better
2: to compete in the SEC? I think that it's all encompassing here. It's the fact that you're three and two, you got embarrassed in the biggest game of the year to this point. You barely snuck by a bad Missouri team. You lost to your rival in LSU, your 29-point underdogs on the road at one of your other two rivals. And all of that, just for this season, combine that with bad recruiting for a second straight year. You did not address the things in the transfer portal you needed to, like the offensive line, like the quarterback position adequately, you did not. And then the fact that when you, if you go back and look Gus Malzahn in his last 11 SEC games when he got fired was seven and four. right now Brian Harson is four and six in his 10 SEC games with Georgia on Saturday where you're 29 point dogs on the road. I mean he nothing about this program under Brian Harson has been up to stand the standard that Auburn should hold, it's coaches, too. It does not feel like the effort has been there on the recruiting trail. You see that in these articles where these coaches in the state of Alabama talk about how they have not met him. You, It's not. It's clearly not happening on the field with in-game in decision-making because that is a consistent plague on this program right now. Every time, every game, there's three, four, five decisions in-game that don't make any sense, that don't have... That, that, that are the wrong decisions that kill momentum, put the put the team in a position to lose, or just hinder their ability to go out and win a game. You're blowing leads left and right. Your second half, you're awful. You're averaging six points against power five teams. You, you've scored, last time you scored 20, what, 24 points in regulation was Mississippi State game last year, going back to your, if your defense holds somebody to 24. That's not true at Auburn right now because the offense can't score. And and it's an offensive head coach. And I said the same things about Gus when Auburn kept consistently losing big games because of the offense. You have an offensive head coach with his offensive coordinator in place. And it's failing. It's failing. They're not scoring enough. The, the quarterback position's in a bad spot. The offensive line's in a bad spot. You aren't getting the ball to your running backs who are your two best playmakers. You're turning the ball over too much. You're, you have procedural penalties. You're going forward on fourth and, and long with stupid play calls in big spots. Everything is it's a rudderless ship right now at Auburn. And it's not getting better.
1: The question that we are sort of pondering on today and we'd love to get your thoughts on it. 334, 321, 1390. What frustrates you the most about this three and two record? I think that's a good way to put it. What what is concerning to you about this three and two record? Is it the offense? Is it something defensively? Is it play calling? Is it what has led up to this three and two record? Is it second half not being able to score? Is it getting up to big leads right? Those are types of things that we have talked about quite a bit, but we want to hear from you again, 3-3-4, 3-2-1, 13, 90. When I look at this three and two record for Auburn, Right, you're in year two of a new head coach. And yes, it's Brian Harsin, but we're just going to say in general terms, you're in year two of a new head coach at Auburn University. Right? Last year, you ended on a five-game losing streak. You lost a couple you should have won. You almost beat Alabama, where if that happens, none of this is happening. I think oh, yeah. things are going just fine. Right? You're, you're one play away from beating Alabama. But you end the year last year on five straight losses. You don't win your bowl game. Transfer portal hasn't been good. Recruiting hasn't been good. And it coming into this season, the, the second-year head coach at Auburn was limping into this season, but had confidence, right? He had confidence. He talked confidently. His team bought into him because a lot of them came back. Of course, you had the offseason stuff, but a lot of these guys came back. And you saw where there was a chance for this to turn around for the second-year head coach at Auburn, right? You saw where he was saying the right things. It seemed like the team was doing the right things. Sure, you had quarterback. Uh, You didn't know you had quarterback controversy, but then you end up getting into it, and you had a quarterback battle. Sure, you figure that out, and you get into this season, and you get into this schedule where you have the first five games at home. And sure, there's two SEC games on it plus Penn State, So it's not an easy schedule, but it's a manageable schedule. And coming into the year, we talked about it. How for Auburn to be successful in their second season under a new head coach... You've got to go 4-1 and or even 5-0 and in these first five games. If you do that, you give yourself a chance to compete for the rest of your schedule, where you have to go on the road to both Mississippi schools, where you have to play Arkansas and Texas A&M, who are going to be at least top 25 programs coming into the season, and when you play them, we're presumably going to be top 25 programs. Arkansas will.
2: A&M will not.
1: But coming into the year, you can almost yeah. put your money that they are going to be top twenty-five programs well, when you play them. Your,
2: your next two games are on the road at number two, and on the road at well, actually number no, number two was number one, right? Uh, and on the road at number nine. And so you add that to the mix. You've got to play at Georgia. Yep. You have to play at Alabama. It's a tough
1: schedule for Auburn. And so the first five games were the most important of the season. Auburn goes three and two. And we know how they've gone 3-2, and two. we know why they've gone 3-2, and two. we've gone into that a lot. But in my opinion, if Auburn was 3-2, and two, but they were competitive in all five, they didn't get blown out by Penn State, they maybe got beat on a field goal or something, and you could feel the trajectory of the program going upwards and going in the right direction, I think this would be okay, and I think it would be more manageable under a second-year head coach in the SEC at Auburn competing with Alabama and Georgia if the direction of the program was going in the right way and the trajectory was going up and not down. But that's not happening. Auburn's not going in the right direction right now. The trajectory is going straight down, not at an angle. It's going straight down like it's off a cliff right Auburn fans have given up for the most part there's still some that say give them a chance and you can make that argument but most of them from what we've heard here on the show what you see on social media what you've seen walking out of Jordan Hare Stadium what you guys have heard on after the game most of the fans have said people are tired and and they're they're tired of it and 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 it's over right they have given in on this experiment on a second year head coach in the SEC because the program is not going in the right direction You've got to give a guy time. I've said that and I will continue to say that. I said it when they hired him. And even after last year, you've got to give a guy time in the SEC to make the right changes and do the right things and implement the right mindset and make changes to get your program going in the right direction. And you've got to give a guy three, four, possibly five years. In college football, you don't get that anymore. You just don't. But you've got to give a guy time to get him and let him put this thing in the right direction. But we're a year and a half into this thing and it's going the wrong way. It's going backwards, and that is what and why Auburn fans are frustrated with a three and two record. These are the things that have piled into this three and two record. Because you look at it, and it's three and two, but there's so much back behind it, right? There's so much baggage with that record. You're going to be three and three after Saturday. There's so much behind it. Yep. That is what gets me. Uh, just you know, when you look at this, you're like, man. You want to be you want to be optimistic about it and if the program was going in the right way and Auburn was doing well in recruiting and they were competing in these games and they weren't 29 point underdogs going to Georgia on Saturday you may be able to kind of work your way around this and say okay this is a big year you've got to win some of these games but maybe there's a chance but right now I don't feel that way.
2: Look, I don't care how you lost to Penn State. 3 and 2 is 3 and 2 with this schedule and the the trajectory there's no scenario where if you're three and two the' it's not going up in any fashion you're th- but you are three and two in about the worst way that you can be at this point. The only way it could be any worse is if l s u had come in and just drummed you on Saturday, which if they don't blow a bunch of coverages in the first quarter, maybe that plays out that way because then then you're playing from from behind rather than up seventeen but there's I think the the trajectory of the program is far more hindered by the lack of success on the recruiting trail than the fact that you're that you're 3 and 2. If you're 3 and 2 with a top 10 class and you can at least point to the fact that hey yes this is year 2, but we're building something. Look look at that recruiting class. There's a foundation being built here and just give us the time, and we're going to get it all figured out. It's going to get ironed out, and we're going to be fine. But it's not doing that. You're you're having a bad recruiting class instead. That's exactly right, and that's sort of where I'm
1: going with this is you've got to give a guy time in college football. You've got to give a guy time in this league, in the SEC, But if the off-field things aren't happening, and Carter put it really, really well, if you don't have the recruiting class to back yourself up and see the improvements on the field as well as a recruiting class to back it up next season in 2023, then you're not doing your job. And the future is not in in the right hands. And the program is then not going in the right direction. And that is the problem for Auburn right now is – the recruiting class isn't there. The improvements on the field aren't there. The wins aren't there. And it's all of that combined. If you're three and two, like you said, Carter, if you're three and two with a, even it, with the results that we've got right now, a blowout loss to Penn State and a three point loss to, or uh, a one possession loss to LSU. Okay, right? You, you're right? You're right. You would want to win those games or compete, but okay. But if you've got that class behind it, then yeah, maybe you're feeling okay. And if you see things on the field that you're improving, better play calling, better play uh, execution, better um, game plans, then maybe you feel a little bit better. But right now, all of that's not happening on top of having a 3-2 and record. And I think that's where Auburn fans have finally just tossed in the towel and said, this isn't
2: working. If you were sitting here right now with Notre Dame's recruiting class, everything feels different. Notre Dame is two and two still. They're two and two, and you're sitting here with the number four recruiting class. Auburn's not in that boat. Auburn's three and two with a, with a recruiting class down in what? I mean, they aren't even on the top fifty from from they're what? they in I'm, the sixties. Last time I'm, I worked. what I'm looking at right here. I mean, it's not. They're fifty four. They're behind Vanderbilt. There should never be a scenario ever in the history of Auburn where Vanderbilt has a better class than Auburn. At, at any, a, that's, at any that's, point.
1: That's, that's unacceptable. I agree. That's unacceptable. And that's the baggage I'm talking about with a 3-2 and two record through five games. we got to get to our first break in this first hour. When we come back, we're going to get to the phone lines. And hang on, we're going to get you right after the break here on this Tuesday edition of On the Line.
0: You are on the line on ESPN 106.7. Call in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7502. Let's
1: get to the phone lines here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. 334-321-1390. Ed, you're on the line. Welcome in.
3: Uh, hey, guys. I, I appreciate y'all. It's uh, my call. I, I wanted to talk about uh, it, 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 exactly what you're saying. They're going backwards in so many ways. And recruiting, if you can't, if you, and it's inexcusable. And I would tell the next coach, you know, I'd tell him straight up, you know, if we hear that you're not even going out and recruiting, don't come here. You know, don't come here unless you're willing to take on this. Mm-hmm. But, but what, what Auburn's got to worry about, is it's the same thing if you got a wife or girlfriend or whatever, it's when anger turns to apathy. And, and, you know, people just start saying, I, you know, throwing their hands up. And, and they've got to, I don't think that's going to happen because, uh, you know, we all know a change is going to come. Mm-hmm. But I, I was going to talk about the, the second half woes I, to me. Those are all or 90% on coaching. hmm Agreed. And, and uh, the, on the interception, the last interception uh, that ended our chances, the, the guy that intercepted it said that AU had ran the same play six times straight.
4: Mm-hmm. Now,
3: I don't know if he means out of that set or if he means just – but, I mean, that is – that is almost unbelievable.
1: Yeah, I, I saw that. I saw that same thing in his print in his post game, you know, conference or whatever he did. He came out and said Auburn ran the exact same play five or six times in a row and he said, "I knew what they were running, so I just jumped the route." That's coaching malpractice.
2: That's what we we like to call yes. that.
3: Yeah, and I agree with you. And uh, and, and uh, another thing uh, Brownie Council moving to center, having to move to center, that might have been the best thing to happen to our offensive oh, yeah. line because, you know, he probably should have been there. Mm-hmm. And as a coach, you should have – and there's other players that I think that are on this team that aren't being given a chance. And and I don't think he is a good coach at all. Uh, you know, I, I think he's a uh, – I, I don't know. Yeah, I, I well, Ed, that's, that's a, that's a good –
1: it's a good point you talk about, you know, there's some guys on this team that we thought we were going to see more of that we haven't, and with the yeah. inevitable decision of Brian Harson more than likely not going to be here for more than a, a week or so, That may give Auburn a chance to play some of these guys because if you do have a change of leadership, then you've got somebody else, you know, making the call. And I think you may end up seeing some guys that haven't played as much as we thought they would. And maybe, on the flip side, you may see some guys that have played a lot that may not get as much playing time.
3: Well, I kind of agree with that because we went through that with Brian, with Gus Malzahn,
4: Mm you know, having
3: favorites and all that. And that's no way to coach, you know. Uh, And he he has pretty much said that also, Brian has, that, you know, uh, if if you don't do it in practice, it's all on practice. Well, Bo Jackson didn't like to practice, you know? (laughs) That's fair. I mean, and he still was pretty dang decent running back. But anyway, guys, Wario and have a good day yeah
1: we appreciate the call ed those a couple good points he was talking about i, I think that is that is a, a an interesting thing to think about with a change of leadership more than likely coming within a week or so right there are guys that auburn talked and, and hyped up big time in mm-hmm. in in fall practice even in spring practice that we haven't seen a whole lot of so far through five games and if there is some sort of silver lining with a coaching change that may or may not happen again we You can't say it's going to because obviously it hasn't, but it is inevitable that it's going to happen. So if that does happen, Mm -hmm. there is a silver lining there where maybe some of these guys that were getting the hype in fall and haven't been playing so far through five games, maybe they do come in and maybe they make an impact. And you know what? Maybe Auburn can change it around and win some of those games down the stretch that they're not going to be favored in. They're going to be underdogs in, in in more than more than not. They may be underdogs in all of their games for the rest of the year if you really look at the schedule besides Western Kentucky. So maybe those guys can come in and make it a little bit of a difference because, Carter, we talked yesterday about Brandon Council playing center. The offensive line had their best game of the season.
2: Yep. Yeah, no, they absolutely did. I think that uh, this... <laughs> When you talk about players that haven't gotten an opportunity that could potentially make an impact, you know where my mind goes right off the bat. Landon King. Landon King makes probably the behind Amari Kelly's catch on on Saturday because that was legitimately the best catch we've seen all year. It was a ball that was batted at the er, batted by BJ Ojalari in coverage. In the last, what, two, three feet? And mm-hmm. he adjusted to it and made a great catch on an underthrown pass. Well, Landon King, his catch against Penn State, is the next best catch we've seen all year. Yep. And we haven't seen him catch a ball since. My we've brain barely seen him on the field since then. My brain goes
1: to Shed. I mean, the senior. The senior receiver who has been there, but hasn't in my opinion hasn't been fully used to what we thought he was going to and it remember coming into the season we talked about him he wasn't ever going to be wide receiver one maybe not even wide receiver two but he's got to be your go-to on like when you need a guy I figured it would be him but even then there's a lot of younger guys too that we just haven't seen that we thought we were going to and if a change in leadership does happen There's another guy making the calls and and, and calling the shots. And you may see some new faces and some moving around at position groups. And you know what? Why not? Because after this Saturday, I mean, barring a crazy event where Auburn is able to go in there, compete, and happen to win the football game. But even Mm -hmm. then, I think you're still going to see some mix-ups on this roster and in this depth chart. And I think you should because of what you saw on the offensive line. Good things happen when you make changes. And through five games, if it's not working, then it's not going to work for the next five games. I mean, that's just common sense.
2: Yeah, I just think that... I I think you're starting to see at least this much, which which I appreciate. The freshmen, Amari Kelly and Camden Brown, Mm -hmm. that you heard a lot about in fall camp, they're starting to find a bigger role. Coy Moore, who I know didn't have the best of games on Saturday in terms of throwing the interception and having the pick ripped from his hands there at the end. But he's still shown enough for you to know he's probably the best option behind Javarius Johnson. And Javaris Johnson is your deep play guy. He's proven that at this point. Coy Moore is probably your, your next guy in terms of what he has shown you over the course of this season. And I think you're going to see those three guys that you heard a lot about, their roles are starting to, to increase. So I am excited about that. But there there's still there's just some things that are that are confusing and uh like stupefying really when you when you look at it. Like why is Jarquez Hunter only touching the ball what eight times on Saturday? Where did Tank Bigsby go for a quarter and a half? Where did where has Landon King disappeared to? Like all of these things. These are some of your best playmakers. And you're not putting them on the field. You're not getting the ball in their hands and letting them make plays for you. What do we see with Lee Scott? Obviously, we're
1: the the Lee Scott broadcast crew. What do we see Lee Scott do on offense with their running backs? What do they do?
2: They get the ball in everybody's hand probably eight to ten times a game.
1: And they sub them out every single play. Tank Bigsby and Jarquez Hunter should be subbed out one or two plays and just rotate them all day long and feed them the football. That is coaching. 30 minutes into our number one, 334-321-1390. We'd love to hear from you. We're going to talk the SEC when we come back.
0: You are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 1067. Auburn Opelika's sports leader.
1: 30 minutes into our number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird, with you on ESPN 106.7, Auburn a Sports Leader. Um, We've got the TV on here in the studio and uh, not ESPN turning off, uh, tuning out of their NBA daily show to watch Aaron Judge hit a ground ball trying to chase 62. I mean,
2: they... They're trying for it, and he's got like three games left to do it. He has two today and one tomorrow, and if he he doesn't do it, he doesn't do it. I think it would be the funniest thing in the world. If he does not break this, and he he's had like a week and a half, he's,
1: he's had a week off, and a half because he tied it at si- he tied the American League record at sixty one. He's yes. trying to break it with sixty two, and every single time he bats in a game over the last week and a half, ESPN has whatever they're covering, whether it's college football. Uh, right now, it's their it's their daily NBA show. It's it's they're talking basketball, and they literally tuned out of it they're to watch Zion. They tuned out of it to watch Aaron Judge hit a ground ball.
2: So, well, I mean, I just and I I mentioned this to you as we turned it on and saw that they were doing live cut-ins, I think the the first moment ESPN decides not to cut into... Yep. A Yankees game he's gonna hit 62
1: and I get why they're doing it like it makes sense but it's history it's history I get it right and did you notice on um on Saturday when they were doing it before they did it they were like you know they scroll everything at the bottom of the screen they were giving you like a warning that it was yes. about to come before good
2: for, good for them yeah I that's agree fair. I
1: think that's a good idea but uh anyway anyway as we're getting into uh some more stuff here on the Tuesday edition of on the line we'd love to hear from you 334-321-1390 let's look around the S. SEC and college football as a whole now that we are five weeks into the season and when you start breaking down the SEC looking at results from over the weekend and standings as of right now the AP poll The SEC has seven teams in the top 25. You've got Alabama 1, Georgia 2, Tennessee at 8. You've got Ole Miss at 9, Kentucky at 13, uh, Mississippi State at 23, and LSU at 25 after beating Auburn on Saturday. So you've got seven teams in the top 25 from the SEC, three of them in the East and four of them in the West. And, Carter, we had the conversation, I believe it was last week, when we talked about – top to bottom sec east versus sec west and which ones uh which one was better at the time and i think we both sort of said that the sec east has the better teams at the top as of right now but the sec west was better top to bottom and i still think that's the case because when you look at the sec west as of right now auburn a&m mississippi state they're all right there. Arkansas is at the very bottom at one and two. You've got Mississippi State, Auburn, and A and M at both one and one in SEC play. You have Ole Miss at one and zero, and you have Alabama and LSU at two and zero. And then in the SEC East, you have Georgia at two and zero in the conference. You have Tennessee one and zero in the conference. Kentucky one and one, and then everybody else is zero and one, zero and two, zero and two, zero and two. So top to bottom, it's still the SEC West, but the top heavy part, I still think it goes to the SEC East.
2: Well, yeah, you've got number two, number eight, number thirteen over there on the west. You have one, nine, and twenty-five. So I mean, they average out to a higher ranking. Kentucky, arguably, if they don't shoot themselves on the foot, gets gets out of Oxford with a win. And then you're talking about what two four and eight, two five and eight mm-hmm. in the east. I mean, they're really close to being right in that conversation for the college football playoff. But Yes, the west is deeper. But no, I'm not talking myself it, it, The west is a little bit deeper. Because I'm not talking myself into Auburn or Texas A&M. They're both not good. And I think you're going to Auburn's worse than A&M, but you're going to see A&M a and is about to have their worst year potentially under Jimbo and I think it's going to be hilarious.
1: But when you look at the east, the bottom of the East right now is Florida, South Carolina and Missouri. So, uh, Missouri, I mean, look, those three teams are all 0 and 2. And above them is Vanderbilt, and then after that you've got three top 15
2: squads. So, let me ask you this. I mean, which I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to dock Florida all that much. They've lost to Kentucky and Tennessee. Which I mean, they they've lost to two ranked teams, like two highly highly top 13 teams. And they have a top 10 win. Yes, I think that Florida if we put Florida and AM on a field right now, Florida beats AM decently soundly. I think it's a coin toss. I don't. I don't think that at all. I think I think Florida can actually score. AM can't. That's the thing. And that's the I'm going to say it until they show me that they can score enough points to, to be a real threat against anybody with a pulse in this conference. And like they look. They beat, they, they've gotten worse on offense because they've lost to Smith. They did beat Arkansas thanks to a defensive touchdown and thanks to a missed field goal. But they're not a good team. They're not a good team at all. And it's time to start. Ha- like, Prepare yourselves. In a month, we're going to be having an uncomfortable conversation about Jimbo
1: Fisher. I agree I think there's a there is a way where and there's a path where am does not have a good year but if you put them in Florida on the field right now I think Am's defense keeps them in the game again they can't the score game. I agree they can't score but maybe they score enough and Florida is I, I think it's a coin toss. I really do I think if Florida and AM were put on neutral site right now I wouldn't know I would feel a little bit more confident in Florida but not by a whole lot maybe put them at like a three-point favorite but that'd be about it
2: I'd feel very confident in at least a touchdown victory by Florida in that game. At least. I would lean more towards about 10 to. 13-point victory. But what does that say about the
1: SEC right now, where Florida, who is supposed to be second or third, fourth best team, whatever, I mean, anywhere Forth, from...
2: Fourth best team in
1: the East. Yeah, supposed right to be fourth best, could be second or third with a good year, and then you have AM, who is supposed to be the second best team in the West, having such mediocre seasons right now, and then you have Tennessee in the East, who's a top-ten program. They look really solid. They've got a huge game, a couple of games coming up in the next few weeks. You have LSU you, who sits at second in the SEC West at 2-0 after a bad loss on opening night. So what does that say about where the SEC is right now
2: through five weeks? Well, we, we knew coming in, based on the way Florida finished the year last year and how recruiting went and how the, those type of things, it was way too much to expect them to be really, really good in year one. And if you listen to Billy Napier talk this whole offseason, He was trying to manage expectations. But your problem was, number seven came to town in week one. You got a really awesome emotional victory. And Anthony Richardson looked really, really good in that game. And everybody lost their mind and put them at 12. Which was probably the worst thing that could have happened for Billy Napier this season because now the season is viewed as a failure. Where if we adequately took... That week one game with a grain of salt and said, "Hey, let's let's listen to what Billy Napier is saying, as we should with most week one big matchups." Yeah, I mean, with with LSU, I mean LSU shot themselves in the foot time and time and time again in that FSU game. They're really close to being five and zero, and if they're five and zero, I mean, we're talking about what a job Brian Kelly's doing, rather than like oh like. LSU's there. I mean, they're ranked
4: 25th. I mean,
1: well, think about the reaction after that LSU-FSU game. It was, yep, Brian Kelly's not it. We knew he wasn't the fit. We knew this wasn't going to work. They had mistakes. They had special teams errors, blah, 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 right? But here they are now. LSU, they're sitting atop with Alabama and the SEC West at 2-0. And they've got some games coming up where, yeah, they've got a tough schedule. But Brian
2: Kelly is exceeding expectations already in year one, I think, at LSU. Yeah, I I, I think that he's... He's going to be able to salvage this season because at a certain point, it did look really, really, really bad. Um, if Auburn's offense had a pulse in the second half, they're probably sitting there at three and two. And if Mississippi State doesn't run the ball twice on fourth and one and get stuffed twice in the first quarter when they have control of that game, mm-hmm. you could, you like, LSU could be five and oh, they also could be two and three. And And... That it's a fine line that we walk in this conference. And good for them to figure out a way to get to 4-1. This week they got a heck of a test when they've got Tennessee coming to town. They
1: have Tennessee coming to town. It's going to be a, a very tough game. You, you, we keep talking about Florida a little bit and looking at the remaining schedule for them. They're at home versus Missouri this Saturday. That should be a win. Then you have LSU come to town Saturday night in in uh, Gainesville at the Swamp against LSU. You can give Florida a chance to win that football game. Then you get out, Then you get Georgia at home, which is a massive matchup. So you, you're not too sure on that one. But then you have. At at A&M, South Carolina, at Vanderbilt, at Florida State. Florida has a halfway decent schedule down the stretch where they could pick up some wins for Billy Napier in year one. Let's head to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Shane, you're on the line. Welcome in.
5: Hey, guys. How are y'all doing? Doing good,
1: man. What you got?
5: A couple things. I don't think that um, Brian Kelly has exceeded any sort of expectation. Um, just by only losing one game, I think that it, the expectations for LSU are are extremely high. So, and he's supposed to be you know this high profile coach. So his,
2: you
5: know, I don't think that he's, I don't think he's exceeded anything. You know, I think that um, he's done well to you know manage you know uh, such a I don't know dismal. First last year, last couple of years.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: Um but um, anyway, I, I, my my opinion about how how teams are polled so early in the season it, it, it makes me sick almost because most of these are, are like, you know, um a popularity contest poll basically compared to you know, what you did last year and then what do you think? What what are these high profile people that are voting Thinking that these all these things are going to do, and it really does a lot of teams disjustice if you're if you're ranked high and you're not really that well, you know, not, not that good, and it, you, you know you look, it's like you, you're disappointed, and vice versa. If if you're uh, if you're ranked re- really low, and it takes you so long, some of these you know little schools to get to climb up, Kansas, it's Kansas, just, well, well, why can't we wait till you know week 4 or something to, to mm-hmm. put yeah. that poll out well,
1: yeah well, a lot of people have brought that up before is waiting a few weeks into the season before you start ranking teams and, and you're right Shane a lot of it is based off of how last year went how last year ended and the the guys you're bringing in which i get that but Let's just be honest. You don't know what a team's going to be in week 1 and they're not going to be the same team in week 4 or 5. That's why those big games in week 1, take LSU Florida State for example, you don't I can't buy into that fully because you you didn't know what you were getting when those two teams took the
2: field. I can I can tell you why we we, we do these these polls oh, yeah. and we and we do the the college football playoff in the middle of the season. It's because it makes ESPN and Fox right, and all money. these networks a lot more money when they can put a, a 2 and a 17 next to a game. People are going to tune into yep. that because they know it's a ranked game. And then that's why they well, that's, have the, the, <laughs> the, 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 the college football playoff show because they know that drives ratings even though it means nothing.
5: It means nothing. Hey, last thing, it's a, it's in the same token, you know um, – how we do Heisman favorites before the season starts?
1: <laughs> Same thing. Yep.
5: Yeah, Same thing. That is, that is such ridiculous, and it gives some guys, you know, more of an opportunity because it's been talked about for for six months when there was no football. You know,
2: that's
1: right. Uh, and- and they, they, can can they, they can say that they don't buy into it. We appreciate the call, Shane. They can say they don't look at it. You're talking Heisman favorites before the season. You can say they don't look into it, but they 100% know where they stand in Heisman rankings and Heisman betting odds before the season starts. Well, well it's
2: the fact that we get way ahead of ourselves, and we much like we did with ranking Florida 12, mm-hmm. we knee-jerk react week one. We did, we did it famously with Kenny Hill. Jenny yep. Hill had one awesome week at South Carolina where he played a daggum near perfect game and everybody he jumped to like Heisman favorite. Anthony Richardson was that this year. Anthony Richardson was that and then Kentucky went down in the swamp and I, at some point I don't recall if this was a sideline r- report during the game or if this came out after but every single player on that Kentucky defense knew that he was one of the Heisman favorites. every time they made a play, everybody on the defense, that's Heisman over there. That's Heisman. That's supposed to be Heisman. Yep. Look at him. He ain't no Heisman. You want to talk Heisman and talk Heisman hype, the worst
1: one we've ever seen in college football history, it relates to Auburn, is Jeremy Johnson. He had some of the most hyped-up Heisman odds and Heisman favorite talks coming into that season in college football, and obviously that didn't pan out at all. And that was one of the biggest letdowns I've ever seen not just at Auburn just in college football so you want to talk about preseason Heisman odds and how they just throw everybody off look at Jeremy Johnson when he was about to play at Auburn uh after coming in and and getting his first year and I mean that that was unbelievable but I agree with Shane where these preseason rankings it's obviously about the money we know that but in relation to my comment about Brian Kelly exceeding expectations I'm talking about after the loss to LSU where everybody or after the loss of Florida State, excuse me, where they in that first on that Monday night, Sunday night, whatever it was. Everybody was jumping on LSU, and they said, oh, okay, not going to work. You, you, you looked horrible, special teams that night. You lost to Florida State. How in the world are they going to beat Mississippi State in two weeks? How are they going to go to Auburn and win? And yet they've turned it around. They're, they've they got they 4-0 since then with two SEC wins. Now, they do have Tennessee at Florida, Ole Miss, Alabama at Arkansas, at Texas A&M. So to this point in the season, after the FSU lost, I say you can, you can say he's exceeded expectations, but over the next two months, we're gonna find out exactly how good Brian Kelly is and how good this LSU team is because they've got one of the toughest schedules
2: to end the SEC season. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you want to talk about Heisman odds, <laughs> a player who, if if we were doing it based on actual merit and all that stuff, Chase Brown at Illinois. Chase Brown at Illinois is leading the country in rushing yards. He has 733 yards, and we're not even at the halfway point of the season. He's that's been awesome. ridiculous. He's he's gone nuts all season that's crazy in
1: the Big Ten where that's what they do is run the football and plan to stop the run I mean that's that is Big Ten football that that is unbelievable but talking about the SEC and college football as a whole 334-321-1390 we'll take our final break in this first hour we'll come back talk about the Braves and how they are still one game away from an NL East championship all that and more here on the Tuesday edition of On The Line
0: you are on the line on ESPN 106.7, online at ESPNAU.com, or on the ESPN 106.7 app.
1: Wrapping up our number one here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob go! it's Carter Bird with you on ESPN 106.7. Well... Carter, you said I jinxed the Braves. I'm not buying that. I didn't do it, okay? I didn't jinx them. I said they were going to win, but they didn't. How many times
2: on the show yesterday did you say,
1: Braves are going to
2: wrap it up. They're going to wrap up the NL East tonight. I said it a few times. Too many. Believe it or not, my
1: voice is not that that powerful. Unfortunately, I wish it was, but it's not. The Braves lose last night 4-0 to the Marlins. Just an ugly game. I mean, the Braves... I mean, I don't know Did what you want to put think. it on, but they didn't really do a whole lot. No runs, four hits, two errors. So, um, yeah, it's not really it's not really what you're looking to do when you're trying to win the NL East. They lose four nothing to the Marlins. They have four runs on nine hits and just one error. So, uh, the Braves, they still have a chance, right? The 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 weird thing is that the yes, Mets. They, yes,
2: they they, they still well, have a chance. Well, I know still on the driver's But seat. what I'm <laughs>
1: saying is the Mets didn't play last night. Now they're playing a doubleheader because their game got postponed to today. So they didn't. They're still having to. They still got a clinch. They haven't, even if they lost last night like they did, if the Mets would have lost, they would have been fine. Yes. But the Mets didn't play last night exactly. because their game got postponed. So that's what I meant. But the Mets have a doubleheader today. The Braves play their second game against the Marlins, 540 uh, tonight. The Mets play their first game at 3 o'clock, and then their second game after that around 640-inch. So the Braves have three chances today to clinch the NL East. Is that right? Is my math
2: right? They have three chances. They can win, or the Mets lose one of their two games. Technically, yes, that is correct. So, but but the, the Mets are pretty hefty favorites in both of their games because they have an advantage on the mound in both games uh, and they're at home. They, but are, they are at home. The, the game last night is so frustrating because your leadoff guy and then through the two or through the three, through the seven hitters. All zero hits. You had none of them draw a walk besides Michael Harris. You had, what, five base runners the whole game? That's not going to – or six because there was an error. But that's not going to get it done. Dansby gave you two hits. Your eight and nine hole hitter each gave you a hit. Michael Harris drew a walk. There's got to be more. I thought they
1: were just going to come off the Mets sweep and just say, yeah, we're going to go and get this thing locked up and done. And then I read a really depressing tweet that they went back into the locker room and there was champagne bottles and glasses, the goggles and the plastic everywhere because like they've got the locker room ready to go in case the Braves were to win, and then they had to go in there and rip it all down because the Braves lost last night. So they're going to do it again tonight. We'll see if they can win. I'm not saying anything. I'm I'm not not doing
2: it. I'm not shocked that this happened last night because of the fact that you are coming off a – the biggest series of the year in the regular season and you swept your rival to take control of the division it's natural that there's some sort of emotional letdown the next night and Dan's said in his post-game interview after sweeping the Mets it's going to be a late night tonight we're going to get on the plane we're going to fly down to Miami and we're going to get ready to go tomorrow and they weren't ready and, but but they got two chances here to do it themselves and not leave it up to somebody else
1: I agree. We'll see what happens, Braves and Marlins. Tonight, 540. I'm not making a pick. I'm not getting yelled at again. Uh Uh-uh, not doing it. Good. (laughs) Hour number one, officially in the books. Come back. we got a whole lot more coming up in hour number two.
0: The following is an Auburn Network production.
1: You're on the line, you're on ESPN 1067, Albert Opalica Sports Leader. Hope you're all doing well on this Tuesday afternoon. It's a beautiful day here in the Auburn Opelika area. We appreciate you all tuning in to the Tuesday edition of On The Line the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Hour number one officially in the books. You know what that means. Hour number two officially underway here on ESPN 106.7 Well if you missed anything from the first hour be sure to find the podcast just search On The Line wherever you get your podcast or you can go to ESPNAU.com click on the podcast center. You can find it all right there. We had a good Auburn football conversation SEC talk and also talked about uh, the Atlanta Braves a little bit so it was a great first hour here on the show Again, if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast or go to ESPNAU.com. Well, here in the second hour, we're going to talk to Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick, get his thoughts on Auburn LSU, on all the other results around the SEC, and where teams rank right now in the conference. We're going to get all that from him later on in the show. But let's start hour number two by heading to the phone lines, 334-321-1390. Michael, you're on the line to start hour number two welcome
4: in hey guys uh, from what I had read uh, the Braves didn't get into Miami until three in the morning
6: Wow so, wow I mean, it was kind of a kind of a get out of town game but I wouldn't I
4: wouldn't invest too much in because I, I don't know about you but I, I mean even a professional athlete I don't think they're gonna be playing very well uh, after a, a sweep of your rival and then getting into mm-hmm. uh, Miami at three 3 a.m. agreed so that, that that was a little rough so we'll see how they do today like I said you know, they got five chances basically to to get one, mm-hmm. uh, and so they'll, they'll they'll wrap it up. I don't I don't I don't see a problem there. So we'll see. I'm I'm kind of curious to how this first round buy kind of is. The Braves traditionally until last year haven't really done well in a five game series. So I'm curious to how this format you know with a bye and and how that would play out if they if they get it. Of how that kind of plays out.
2: Yeah, with those with those five ge- five opportunities to to clinch it, I would very much love uh if I were on the team to to be active in the, in the clinching and go out and win a game to to make sure to do it on my own terms and not have to rely on the Mets to drop one of their three, but to your point about the uh first round bye, yeah, I think it's it's interesting this year. It's going to be new, it's going to be different with these three-game wild card series. But I think it's it's So important just for the Braves to get that first round by so you don't have to go against a Padres team that can blow up on offense at any any given moment. And then if you get through that, then you're playing the team that's been the best team in baseball pretty much from wire to wire this season in the Dodgers. And I think if you can get in a situation where you don't have to... The soonest you would potentially run into the Dodgers or the Mets would be the NLCS. I mean, that's exactly where you want to be
4: i really think charlie morton is going to have a a, a heck of a postseason uh i just mm-hmm. think with the way things kind of happened last year uh, i think he's he's kind of itching to get back uh and i think he's got something to prove i i'm I'm excited to see what he's going to do on the mound in the postseason. So, Thanks,
1: guys. Yeah, we appreciate the call. That's Michael here to start hour number two on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Talking about Morton, I think for him in the postseason right now, or I guess coming up in the postseason, it's going to be about his mindset just because, like Michael brought up last year and then coming into this year, wanting to get that chance again, and I think it's going to be about his mindset, and I do think he's going to pitch better this postseason. I think he's going to have a great year uh, in this postseason. I think he's going to be a huge piece for well, the Braves he signed on for for, for next mm-hmm. year as well yeah exactly so I think he's going to have a good postseason I think the Braves are set up to have a good postseason with with their rotation with their bullpen with their hitters getting people back getting people healthy I think the Braves are in a great great spot to to do well in the uh-huh. postseason and so as we get into making headlines here on tuesday october 4th 2022 talking about the braves a little bit more they lose last night to the marlins uh they lose for nothing in an ugly game michael just told us they didn't get in till three o'clock in the morning i mean that's how, how do you expect them to to play a good game last night if they didn't get in until 3 o'clock the morning of, right? I mean yeah. that 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 just buys in or feeds into everything that was going on. And it's that it's like you're coming off the exactly. biggest emotional high of the season. Exactly. So Braves drop it. Mets didn't play. They got their game postponed. They're about to start a doubleheader here in the next 5 or 10 minutes on the Mets. Then the Braves play tonight. They've got 3 chances to do it today. 5 chances overall. I'm with you though, Carter. I would rather the Braves just go ahead and win. Then you get to celebrate
2: you get to enjoy it 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 would make you feel a heck of a lot better to to do the clinching and not have the the clinching done for you elsewhere i I agree
1: so hopefully the braves can go ahead and do that tonight they've got another game tomorrow we'll see again i'm not making a pick because i got in trouble for doing that last night and they lost so
2: i'm not making a pick we'll see how it goes but i do think the braves will end up clinching eventually by the way, we have uh, NFL Live on mute up here in the studio, and uh, they just flashed a stat about that, that Monday night football game that's just truly astonishing. So Cooper Cup last night for the Rams had 14 receptions. There's not a single receiver on the team that had, other than him that had more than two. Oh my gosh. I'd believe it. How do you how do you function as an offense when you literally have one option? You don't. That's why the Rams lost. Exactly. I like they can't run the ball. They they can't throw it to anybody not named Cooper Cup. It's just
1: oh it's bad. Well, the best part about Monday night football last night was the streaker that got rocked on the field by bobby wagner by bobby it's the, wagner the and best play of the game for the dadgum rams for the rams that was the best play they had was bobby wagner stepping off the sideline and just leveling a dude who ran on the field he was he was partially streaking as the mannings called it last night on manning cast because he did have his clothes on but he had smoke like it pink was, smoke in his hands I, I don't know what he was I promoting think but i think
2: it's the same cause as the as the uh Crazy chicken ladies from the NBA playoff. Yeah, yeah. Who would go out
1: and like they
2: tried to glue glue their hand to the court yeah, and all that crazy yeah, stuff. Yeah, and you've
1: seen it to where like people will go out and like handcuff themselves to to goalposts and that stuff. That one
2: that one was wild because they were protesting the the Timberwolves owner, the old owner, I think, even not not even the current owner that owns like all these chicken farms uh, and. They had like all these birds had bird flu, and they had to because you don't want bird flu to spread, basically had to kill the chickens. And it was a weird, weird thing to be like, You saved everybody from a mass bird flu outbreak.
1: Well, didn't they? Didn't it happen in in San Antonio at one point, too, where they like. Uh, they've done some weird, weird things where they've gone out. Like I said, like they'll they'll handcuff themselves to stuff during sporting events or oh, yeah. obviously streaked across the field and all that. But whatever it was last night, this guy jumped on the field, had like pink smoke in his hands, and the, uh, Bobby Wagner of the Rams stepped out and just leveled the guy. And Manning cast, if you don't watch it, I highly recommend it on Monday Night Football. You've got the normal ESPN broadcast with now Joe Buck and Troy Aikman from from they were at Fox now they're at ESPN. They're doing Monday Night Football, but on ESPN two the Manning Cast is hilarious it is so good because it's Peyton Manning and Eli Manning and they just sit there and they break down the plays they give you their their intel and their insight as a quarterback but then they're breaking down the play last night of of the streaker across the field it was hilarious I mean if you're looking for something to watch on Monday night and you're trying to relax and watch a football game and maybe not take it as seriously as as a team would and look Joe Buck and Troy do a great job but Manning cast on ESPN2 Monday Night Football it is top tier entertainment let's get to the phone lines though 334-321-1390 three, 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 one, specter you're on the line welcome in
7: hello how you doing uh we're doing, doing all
1: right. right what you got
7: uh, i wanted to continue my conversation from yesterday okay Um, i was talking about the players need to take some accountability for what they're what they're doing on the field mm-hmm. um one thing i want to mention is that uh If it hadn't have been for the scoop six, we would have won the ball game with what the score was.
4: Mm -hmm.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a huge play. It was momentum. It was points. And I think Auburn had – they were in a good spot to win without the scoop and score. I I agree.
7: All right. With that being said, I do agree that Arson's on his way out, but I don't think it's going to be anytime soon, simply because you've got some seniors that made a point to come back this year. And you're just going to pull the rug out from under them with all of this instability – to go on with the coach being fired midseason.
2: I have a feeling that it's going to happen in the next five to 12 days after the day after Georgia or the day after Ole Miss, I think is when it's going to happen. That's just my, my well, opinion based on what I've seen re- reported, what I've seen rumored, the things that I've heard. I think it's going to happen here in the next 12 days.
7: Yeah, I understand what you're saying, but, you know, if that happens, you're just telling these seniors, you know, well, it's it's a decision we're going to make regardless of what you did.
1: Yeah, and that, and that um, is a good point because there were a lot of them that did come back to play for Harson and tried to 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 finish what they started, type of thing. And, and and yeah, you see it all the time, though. I mean, Wisconsin just fired their coach. We've seen other programs fire their coach two, three, four weeks into this year, and it. I'm sure it does hurt the seniors, but. At the same time, I think for Auburn with this decision, if they do end up making it for Brian Harsin, it's about getting the guy out of there so they can start
2: fu- looking for the new guy to come in, I think is what their, their goal in mind would be. If Wisconsin has done it at this point in the year, I promise you Auburn's not far behind.
7: Well, what is the point of doing that, you think?
2: Well, I think that the, the entire point of it at this point is you are wrapping up an athletic director search. And so you want to make the fire before you announce your athletic director because Stephen Godfrey at Split Zone Duo made a really great point about it, is you don't want to have somebody walk in and be like, hey, we're so glad you're here to build this athletic department up, to all these good vibes, and then say, hey, first act of business, go drop the ax on that guy over there. Like, you, well, you, you like- do what?
7: That sounds like window dressing to me.
2: I mean, I I don't think you you legitimately don't want your first act of your new athletic director to be firing a coach. And so I think what you're going to see happen is you're going to see if a firing does happen, you're going to see the firing happen relatively close to right before the, the athletic director is named. And I expect the athletic director to be named by the end of this month that we're in right now, October.
7: Yeah, well, I don't, um, I'm going back to his, what history tells me. Back in 98 when uh, Bowden left the team, uh, of course, uh, Bill Oliver took over for the team, the defensive coordinator, and nothing good came out of that. I mean, I mean, it was the same old story. You know, he only won the two two games, and the two games he won was – Louisiana Tech and some other small school.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, but, I, I think but, when it when it comes to firing a coach, especially if you're trying to do it in midseason, I don't know if there is a just a right way to do it. Right? I mean, I I am especially somebody that's not a big fan of firing a guy midseason. But if there's a way to do it where it can it where it can benefit you in the long run, to where you can get get a guy out of there and and start looking for the new guy and it work with you getting a new athletic director maybe there's a good way to do it but overall man there's just not a good way to fire somebody and especially in the middle of the season hey Specter, we appreciate the call man uh, as we kind of get into this topic on making headlines looking at the future of of Auburn football and Brian Harson again there is no good way to fire somebody and it's not good to, for some dude to lose his job but I think there's a way to do it where, like I said, you can you can do it in a way that benefits you and, and puts you in a better position in the future to get somebody new in there, right? I mean, uh, that's how I see it. And again, I'm not a fan of firing a dude in the middle of the season, but if there's a way to do it where it benefits you long run, then I think you should do it. Also,
2: Terry Bowden did resign in 98. So that's a little bit different there. But also, I mean, look, you can say like you want him to, you want the team to stick it out with their coach and all that it's not going to change anything i mean regardless of who the interim coach is this team's going 4 and 8 5 and 7 i mean that's that's what this year is it's it has played it has played out to this point in a way that that's how it's going to play out the rest of the way unless remember the conversation we had in the first half where
1: if harson is gone and you do see the interim come in and change some things up and get some guys on the field and make some changes on yeah, the roster depth chart i mean and come in and they Play better, or different t- different sets of players play better, and you're more successful, and you do win some of those games that you're not going to be favored in. But the Mississippi schools, or well, beat A and M, or beat all, Arkansas, that's
2: all the more reason to make the move now. But 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 with what's going on right now, the trajectory of this program. I agree. It is a four and eight to five and seven team under Brian Harson, and firing Brian Harson is not going to change the trajectory. It's 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 not going to make it worse. So saying Bill Oliver that, only won a couple games. That, okay, it was a bad team that was going to lose those games either way. I think that's the best way to put it. Is yes, it's not going to get worse. It's not. I don't see it
1: getting any worse because if you look at it, you're on pace to, I mean, you're not. If you look at the rest of your SEC games as of right now with the trajectory of this team, with how they're playing, with, with the results we've seen so far, you are not going to be favored in any of your SEC games from here on out. You're just not. If you're Auburn, you're not going to be favored in those games. And the chances of you winning those games are going to be pretty slim because those teams are playing better than you right now. And so if you are to get rid of Brian Harson, can it really get worse? I don't think so. Recruiting can't get a whole lot worse. Transfer portal can't get a whole lot worse. And you know what? Results on the field can't get a whole lot worse either. Again, I'm not a fan of firing a dude in the middle of the season. I don't like it. But that is where we're going. And that is the world of college football it today. It is, 100%.
2: There's That's, a reason why five Power Five jobs are open right now, and we've just gotten to October. Which is crazy to me. It's so crazy. but There will be more. Oh, yeah. Watch out for West Virginia. Watch out for Auburn. If Houston continues to crater, that would be an, an interesting conversation. Yes, There's it would. There's going to be more fire rings before the end of the year. That's the way it is with TV money. And how everything, hit. the landscape is not the same as it was in 1998. It's, it's
1: not. not. No, and I mean, you get you get two or three years to turn a program around if you're lucky in college football. And and like you said, it's just not the same anymore. And you see guys get fired mid-season, early in the season, late in the season, because if they're done with you, they're done. And they're going to get rid of you no matter what. And if they have the money, which if schools can find the money to pay these guys to get them out, they're going to do it.
2: And that's yeah. just where it is. Yeah, I mean, I mean, when you look at what Wisconsin is doing, Wisconsin is doing. They had to take the necessary hit to get rid of Paul Christ right now because they have two guys that they wanted to be the next coach: either Jim Leonard, who is now the interim; he was their defensive coordinator, he played at Wisconsin, or Lance Leipold, a guy who grew up in Wisconsin, went to Wisconsin Whitewater, and Lance Leipold's getting all this buzz for Nebraska. So they had to make that move now to give Jim Leonard his his seven-game audition to see if he earns the job, and so they can interview Leipold and have both of these, these options on the table, the two options they want, so they didn't lose out mm-hmm. on Lance Leipold or they didn't get the right chance to properly evaluate J- Jim Leonard. And I think that what they did is great, and it's the right way to handle it.
1: If Wisconsin will fire Chris like they did... And if Nebraska will get rid of Scott Frost, who's a legend there, like they did, Auburn is not worried about getting rid of Brian Harson. If they have to do it, they will. And uh-huh. I think that is the inevitable as we get into the rest of this college football season. 334-321-1390 is the number to put you through to us. We'd love to hear from you. We've got to get to our first break here in hour number two. When we come back, more Auburn football and SEC conversation when we come back.
0: You are on the line. On ESPN 1067, call in at 334-321-1390 or toll-free at 888-382-7502.
1: Back to the phone lines here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. 334-321-1390. Terry, you're on the line. Welcome in.
8: Hey, guys. Uh, How you doing, Terry? Doing doing fantastic. Guys, I heard Specter talking about and nobody points this out, and I'm going to be the one to point it out. When the guys all come back for their senior years, to show their support for Coach Harson, mm-hmm. nobody seems to talk about all the guys that left last year. when in the went in the transfer portal. That's a really good point, actually.
2: I mean, just all as time, many left as Auburn came back. Why? Auburn led the country, I think, in transfer portal like exits. I
8: mm-hmm. think. How are those guys looking right about now?
2: Well, I know some of them are
8: <laughs> playing all but over I mean, the look, uh, country. They're looking like they were right. Oh. They, they Brian Harson, that's the point I'm trying to make, Carter. That Brian Arson was, was a disaster, and they knew what the inevitable was. Because he lost some pretty good players, didn't he? I can't remember the, rec- the receiver was the one that shocked me the most. I can't remember the name. Well, I can't well, I, if you, I if remember you, like a Nats Eyelash.
2: So. It's, it's Kobe Hudson, and Kobe, Hudson, Kobe got, Hudson got told that his scholarship was not being renewed, mm-hmm. which that was crazy because he was your leading receiver and your best receiver by far last year.
8: So he's going to tell his leading receiver your scholarship not being renewed, but he's going to show faith in T.J. Finley.
0: Fair, that's yeah,
8: a, yeah, a, that makes sense.
1: Yeah, well, look, I mean, we when when those guys all left, right? There was there was a big, big. It was a lot of drama, right? There was a lot going on when those guys left and decided to leave, and there were some big names that didn't leave that almost did. Tank Bigsby being one of them. I would who, say
2: I would say a large portion of why the group that came back came back is because of nil.
1: N. I. L. into into play with each other. And they did talk mm-hmm. about buying in and wanting to play for Brian Harson. They did talk about that. Was that everything? No, because I think they saw that Auburn's NIL was getting in the right direction, and I think it has, which is something we haven't really talked a whole lot about with this season going downhill. But Auburn's NIL has really picked up. But these guys that did come back, yeah, I mean, are some of them regretting it? I don't know. Are they going to when Hartson loses a job? Maybe. And the guys that decided to leave and go play somewhere else, yeah, maybe they did make the right decision for them. I mean, it, it, hindsight's
8: twenty twenty, though, Terry. Yeah, I don't think people realize how close Tang Bigsby was to leaving. I really don't.
1: No, he he was he was close. There's no doubt about it. He was close.
8: And I think I really believe if they don't make the right hire, the right kind of hire, more guys could leave after this year because they mm-hmm. see the the, the 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 turn the ship's headed in.
1: Yeah, and that's again, that's sort of the conversation we're having about the direction of the program, not not just the three and two record, but where the program is at and where it's going. I think is a huge factor on the guys on the team, the transfer portal guys that you're trying to go after and recruits as well.
8: Well, remember that guys, next time somebody points out those guys that came back and showed their loyalty. Well, what about all the guys that left, including Bo Nix, who supposedly loved Auburn?
2: Yeah. Hey, hey Take care, guys. And he's doing pretty well. Yeah, he is. We appreciate yeah, hey,
1: we appreciate the call, Terry. He is doing well, and you know with the Bo Nix thing. He had graduated right, and he had he had his year left. I think that that. That relationship had had run its course, in my opinion. It's like your college girlfriend, right? It was good and while you were there, but after that, it's, it's time to move on. And I think that's where Bo Nix it was with Auburn. It was great while he was here. He lived out his dream. He went and played for Auburn. He graduated from Auburn, but it was time for him to go play somewhere else. And I think Auburn was ready to move on from that as well. Now, if you had Bo Nix this year, things may be going a little bit better. But hey, you
2: things know. are absolutely going <laughs> better. What are you talking about? Yeah,
1: they definitely you don't, would be. You don't
2: barely beat Missouri. You you don't lose to LSU. It's a totally different year. Isn't that you, crazy? You probably compete with Penn State. Yeah, and and I'm not saying you win that game, but like this entire year goes totally different. And 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 I'm I'm so curious if Brian Harson could go back in time to when he met with Bo Nix before Bo Nix entered the, the the transfer portal. How differently does that meeting go? I am very curious about that if if he could go back in time.
1: It's a good point that Terry brings up though, thinking about because remember when all those guys left, right? And I mean there was there was a lot of hostility towards those guys from a lot of Auburn fans, Auburn players. Like there was a lot of hostility to those guys that and they were talking a lot of hostility about Brian Harson and yep. Auburn. It went both ways, right? So we remember how that all went down and people questioned why they left and myself included and i respected them for leaving and i respected the ones that stayed because if you felt people
2: didn't yeah a lot of people didn't
1: yeah they were And, and you get it right you're like okay you're turning your back on auburn type of thing whatever whatever right but i respected the ones that left because if that's what they felt they needed to do and that's what they wanted to do you should be able to do it and they did but i also respected the ones that stayed because i thought that they were doing the right thing, buying into Brian Harson and giving him that chance that I thought he deserved and he did deserve. He deserved to have that chance. Now, has he dropped the ball? Yeah, but those guys that came back, I respected it and I wanted them to be successful and they rallied with each other and they rallied around Auburn and some of them came back for Auburn. They didn't come back for Brian Harson. they came back for Auburn. Some of them came back for Brian Harson, but some of them, I believe guys like Tank Bigsby, came back for Auburn. And maybe yeah. not for Brian Harson.
2: I agree. I agree. A hundred percent. And you can't blame... And they're not
1: wrong for that. Right? You're, you, can't, you can't tell the guy he's wrong if he came back to play for Auburn because he loved
2: it. Yeah. Right? And, and Tank Bixby wants Auburn to be great. And, and he wants to be great at Auburn. Well, yeah. But he, but he wants Auburn to be great after he leaves. Mm-hmm. And, and I think Owen Papo is the same way. And I think that that's, that's the reason why those guys are at Auburn right now but it's interesting to look
1: at those guys that left that got so much hate and so much question for leaving because they didn't like how Brian Harsin was running things they didn't like how they were being treated however you think it is right or whatever they their reasonings were and was it at the time was it what they were they seeing the future and where the program was going or were they just not a fan of the new guy coming in and how they were how everything had changed from one regime to the other hindsight's 2020 right i mean it's, it's easy to look back and say well they were right they knew what was coming but did they know maybe they did yeah. we, we're not in there we don't know
2: i think some of it is is probably um has to do with the culture change from Malzon to harson that's my
1: big thing i think that was the biggest thing was the culture change i
2: yeah. really do yeah and and uh you have to wonder if if brian harson could have could have could go back in time and talk any of those guys to staying staying and help him fill out his roster would i mean i i mean cuz things have not gone well this year with with the fact that you led the country in in outward transfers i i it's it's all very very interesting to me
1: it's interesting with just where we're at now with and and i haven't really thought about that so i'm glad terry brought that up because that's a really good point talking about talking about the guys that left and the questioning and the hate that they got for doing it here's the big question did they know what was coming or did they just not like the culture change i think that's a really interesting topic you could go on for a long long time we're gonna have trey wallace who covers the sec for outkick joining us on the phone here on on the line when we come back
2: Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. W- Times of quarterback, DJ. Uh-oh. Ooh, a- ju- UA- uh oh, say. Yagaleli. What? Uwangalele. 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 By the way, I learned how to say this when he pinch hit a couple seasons ago, <laughs> and I've I forgotten <laughs> since then.
0: Uwangalele. Uwangalele. Wrong again. Keyshawn, Jay Will, and Max. Mornings 5 to 9 on ESPN 1067 are on the line with Jacob Goins and Carter Bird on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika sports leader.
1: 30 more minutes here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, the show that tells you like it is and holds nothing back. Jacob Goins, Carter Bird with you here on ESPN 106.7, Auburn Opelika sports leader. Welcoming in our Tuesday guest, Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick. Trey, happy Tuesday, man. It's great to hear from you.
6: It's uh it's good. Happy Tuesday. Hope everybody is doing well wherever they're at and uh yeah, we're inching closer to a uh... Another weekend of SEC football after a wild one uh, this past Saturday.
1: That's right. Well, let's get into the results from this past Saturday. We'll go ahead and get into the one that uh, Auburn fans want to hear about, but they also don't want to hear about it at the same time. Auburn and LSU, uh, it was a 17-0 lead for the good Tigers, as they would say here in Auburn, uh, before they blow it to a 21-0 run from LSU the Bayou Bengal Tigers come in to Auburn they win 21-17 your thoughts and reactions to the game LSU uh, or not upsetting but getting the win at Auburn on Saturday
6: yeah I mean I thought it was a good game plan from Auburn in the first half it, it seems like you know we we go back and look at it what they've had a double digit lead in the last five SEC games but dropped four of them and you know they, they came out they looked explosive on, on the defensive side They they were making plays offensively and all of a sudden, bam! You know, it just hits out of nowhere. You, you're running into a wall. Um, you know, LSU gets on the board, two quick touchdowns, momentum swings, and then Auburn's offense just—they got inside the forty a decent amount of times, but it just—it just stalled. And then that—you know—the the interception, the trick play, Coimort throwing it—that it just—it didn't need to be called. Agreed. Down in that area Agreed. It, at, at all? You, you just you just drove down the field. Why? Why are you trying to get tricky like that? That's my <laughs> biggest thing. You didn't have to get tricky, and so I just I look at that game, and, and I got a story coming out tomorrow that Brian Harson is currently he's Bill Murray in Groundhog Day. That's exactly what's going on right now on the planes. <laughs> and and it just they can't get out of their own way, and and I hate that for Auburn fans, but right now it's just. It, it, it's not like LSU came in as the better overall football team. It's just Auburn is finding different ways to lose football games, and it's astonishing to me.
1: Trey, the, the topic we've kind of been discussing here on the show today is what what is the most frustrating part about Auburn's three and two record to this point in the season? Is it the stuff behind the scenes behind the three and two record, or is it really just the three and two record that we've seen on the field so far this season? What's the most frustrating thing behind this three and two record for
6: Auburn? I mean, I think first off, you when you get an opportunity to open the season with five straight home games, you have to take advantage of that. Um, and and I think that what we saw against Penn State and then back that up with, with LSU, you know, we're seeing second-half regression. And and that's the one thing that kind of worries me about this team. It's like, what, what, in, what in the world are they doing at halftime where this team comes out in the second half and it looks nothing like the guys that we've seen for the first 30 minutes? And, and that's what worries me the most about this football team. Um, I think the behind-the-scenes stuff, I, I think, look, I live in Knoxville, Tennessee, and I have covered many bad football coaches uh, in person. Uh, I've covered circumstances like this where things aren't going uh, the right way and and you're waiting for something to happen. Um, All I would tell Auburn fans is, is, look, something's going to happen in Auburn and, and there's going to be a new coach there next season. Mm-hmm. Unless they just come out and upset Georgia on Saturday and then blow out Ole Miss. Like, this happening, I just think right now, the way that they are losing and how they're doing it, I think it's throwing off so many people because this team does have talent. But, man, it, it's blowing my mind, the play calling in the second half. And, and again, going back to that that just stupid play call of, of the wide receiver pass, There's there's no reason to do it. And that's why Auburn's getting got right now is because they're making mistakes. You're getting mistakes on the sidelines and the coaches and the play calling, and um, it, it's come back to bite them in the butt, guys.
2: Trey, with with the second half woes, how much of that is, is coaching and how much of that is execution? Because when we listen to Brian Harson post game, and every time he's in front of a mic, it's a lot of discussion about, about execution and not a lot about game plan, not a lot about adjustments. How much of it Really is on the coaching versus execution.
6: I mean, I, I it's kind of a double whammy here because you you look at what Auburn has done in the second half of these games when it comes to rushing the football. Look at look at how much production has been lost from them not having take Bigsby or at least try to give him the same amount of carries in the second half that he would get in the first half. Like that's where I'm struggling to find out what's going on with the coaching staff in the sense of play calling because you're you're getting away from it. I mean, you you got an LSU team that threw for five yards in the second half to beat you. Like to me, it, 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 it's it's Auburn just run the football, man. Take control of the line of scrimmage. Yeah. I, I knew LSU had a tough front seven, but I saw them running the football in the first half. Get Robbie Ashford outside and and try to let him scramble like Jaden Daniels or, you know, kind of like a Hinden Hooker. I'm not saying they're all alike, but they do have different, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, the same type of skill set in a sense. You know, it just, mm-hmm. I don't know where it's coming from. In, in, in talking with some folks, there is a little bit of, okay, why are we running this type of thing from coaches on the staff, yeah. you know, from defensive coaches to the offensive coaches. And, and it, it, it's not like they're going to call them out. But I can tell you this, the the coaches' meetings have been pretty hot-tempered over the last couple weeks.
2: Interesting. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, when you look at this, that performance on Saturday, kind of to your point of not running the football, I mean, Jarquez Hunter touches the ball eight times and has over 100 yards. He should touch the ball more if he's going to be that effective. And instead, they went away from that. The backs only touched the ball 24 times, and you saw 38 pass attempts from a quarterback who going into the game you didn't think he could really throw a lot, and it's just, it's certainly confusing.
6: Well, it's, it's, look at the offensive stats for Auburn when it comes to passing. I mean, you're like, wait a minute. How did this happen? And then, <laughs> you know, in, in a good way, And then you're like, but then you look at LSU's offensive stats, and you're like, if you just looked at the box score after the mm-hmm. game, look at the team's stats, you would have been like, how did Auburn not win that game by 14 points? <laughs> um, so I, I just feel like there's too many mistakes going on in the locker room at halftime. I think coming out in the second half, I, I don't know why you aren't seeing the same football team. Um, I, I think the play calling has gotten stale, and I don't know if it's Carson is is, is getting scared in certain situations and tr- because again there was no reason to run that type of play. Mm-hmm. So so why why run it? What, what, what made you think that would work? And then also, you have to think about this way, too. Why did Coy think that was a good pass to throw? Why not just go out of bounds? You know, a lot of it comes to coaching. I know a lot of the play calling is what it is. You should have thrown it away or you should have run out of bounds. But if these players aren't understanding it, man, that goes back to the coaches. There's, there's no other way to put it. You can talk about players being on the field and, and doing what they're supposed to do on every single play. But if you're if you're calling the wrong scheme, if you're getting beat by an opposing defensive coordinator who's out scheming you, who's getting after the quarterback, that goes on the, the the play calling and the coaching. So it's a it's a tricky and a weird situation for Auburn this year.
1: We've got Trey Wallace on the phone who covers the SEC for outkick. Trey, this was not the only game in the SEC over the weekend. We saw Georgia escape Missouri on the road. We saw Alabama take care of business against Arkansas on the road. And then we saw Ole Miss get a top 10 win against Kentucky at home. Your reactions to the results around the Southeastern Conference this past Saturday?
6: First off, Kentucky should have had the win at Ole Miss. Uh, Will Levis would have given him a little bit more time to set up his receiver. That's a touchdown. I don't know if Ole Miss drives down the field and and, and, and tries to get, you know, get to win at the end of the game. I think Kentucky blew that football game. I think the fumbles from Will Levis, I don't think you'll see that for the rest of the season. Uh, he screwed up, and and I'm not putting blame just on Will Levis. You know, the defense, you know, at times looks bad, uh, especially in that secondary, just getting picked apart. Um, Kentucky will bounce back this weekend against South Carolina. I, I mean, Ole Miss... You know, you you look at them right now with the, uh, they might not be throwing, 250 yards a game, passing, but when you have running backs like they do, uh, get Zach Evans more involved. You know, maybe this week a little bit against Vanderbilt, but but next week going forward, coming off a little bit of an injury, um, and 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 we'll see if Ole Miss is fool's gold or if Kentucky just let that one get away. I, I look at the rest of the conference. I think Georgia was a little bit humbled in the first half. I think Missouri wanted it more. Uh, we saw that from both lines of scrimmage, offensive and defensive side, that they kind of pushed Georgia around. And then all of a sudden, George was like, wait a minute. Okay, we're down. All right, we have to come back and take control of this now. And they just flipped the switch. And you saw in the second half where Georgia kind of took over right there. You know, Missouri wasn't going to win that game settling for field goals. They just weren't. But I give credit to the Tigers, Missouri, for, for putting up one hell of a fight against Georgia. But, now it's unfortunate for Auburn because now you've got a pretty agitated Georgia team, most likely, behind Kirby Smart. <laughs> they're they're waiting for the Tigers this weekend in Athens, which just doesn't spell right. So I, I is what it is when it comes to, to Georgia. There was gonna be a game or two like that this mm-hmm. season. Then Alabama doing what Alabama did. Without Bryce Young, you know, it's like, my goodness, how how many five-star quarterbacks do they have behind him? I mean, it's just ridiculous. Um, Because I I think they could beat Texas A&M by three touchdowns this weekend with Jalen Milbrow, at quarterback, and not Bryce Young. So, you know, Alabama gets away with a win there. Arkansas made it close. But, um, you know, it's just what Alabama does. They They just, you know, every now and then you get that season where you've got two or three quarterbacks in the roster, that can get it done, and, and that's what Alabama has right
2: now. Trey, before we get into Auburn, Georgia, I do want to talk to you about one team that we have not mentioned yet, and that's Texas A&M. They're three and two, and they're playing. They're going on the road to Alabama. They've got another road test coming up at South Carolina, at Auburn, and then they've got Ole Miss, Florida, and LSU left on the schedule. Just how bad can this get? And at some point, are we going to be having the, an uncomfortable conversation about Jimbo Fisher this season?
6: Ole Miss, Florida, LSU. If you look at those right there, I see two losses. Uh, If you look at this weekend, I see a a blistering loss to Alabama. Mm -hmm. So that's three losses right off the bat. And if we're being honest with each other, if that offense comes out and plays like they did against Mississippi State, plays like they did against Miami and App State and even Arkansas, because... You know, and for speaking truthfully here, Arkansas should have won that football game against A&M. The tide flips whenever you know the the fumble recovery for ninety nine yards. You know the, the the field goal off the top of the upright. I mean, come on, that that stuff just doesn't happen often. Um, so I I don't like Texas A&M right now. I think they they are they are offensively they are just handicapped uh, in a sense of. They don't have a quarterback that can lead this football team. You've got play calling that, in my opinion, there are too many check downs. There are too many, uh, too many different scheme packages that they are running right now uh, for the quarterbacks that they have. When they should just be running the ball, throw a little play action in there and make some things happen. I, I just, they're just ugly in the way they played against Mississippi State. If it wasn't for their defense, it'd have been even worse against the Bulldogs, and, and and I picked Mississippi State to win that game because I didn't trust Texas A&M's offense, and they proved me right. And, and let me tell you something. The uncomfortable conversation comes if we're sitting here at the end of the season and Texas A&M has six losses. Like, I don't think they're going to fire Jimbo Fisher because of all that money that he's owed, and, but this is year five, okay? We're seeing coaches get fired after two years. After one year. So, I'm just saying, if it gets worse in College Station, there are going to be regents and there are going to be boosters that are going to be very, very agitated with Jimbo Fisher. And he can't hang on these recruiting classes much longer.
1: Well, the landscape of college football, Trey, has just changed so much. We're speaking with Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for Outkick. As we get into week six, we got a couple of more questions before we let you go. As we get into week six of college football around the SEC, Auburn at Georgia, 2.30 on CBS. The line is anywhere from 29 to 30 points in favor of Georgia. Tennessee at LSU, a top 10 Tennessee program going to now a ranked LSU team. Arkansas at Mississippi State, and of course, A&M and Alabama. You've already talked a little bit about that one what are your uh your thoughts and your picks for some of these games coming up around the southeastern conference this week trade do we still have you
6: i'm sorry oh yeah. there you go okay yeah we got you now i no I, I think mississippi state if they can play the way that they did with will rogers throwing the football around i, I think they could Get in the heads of the Arkansas secondary. Uh that's just that could be one of the games of the day, to be honest with you. That one's gonna be fun to watch. Um, so keep an eye out on that one. I really like what Will Rogers is doing. Let's see how K J Jefferson in this Arkansas team responds to two straight losses. Um, you know, if you if you're looking we'll save Auburn for last. LSU Tennessee, in my opinion, that's the game of the day um you you've got a Tennessee squad that's hot right now on offense and the program is feeling itself um you're going down to Baton Rouge for an 11 a.m. kickoff which LSU fans are not happy about um but you've also got you know an LSU team coming off a win on the road to the SEC which is always hard to do um I, I think this game will be fun to watch from a You know, offensive standpoint of Hendon Hooker in Tennessee, okay, let's see what LSU does with their defensive front seven and how much pressure they can get on Hendon Hooker. So I I think Tennessee wins that game, um, but I think, you know, they're going to have to do it by scoring 35 points, something along those lines, just because the defense is still struggling in the secondary. And then, you know, heading over to Athens, I just – I feel feel bad because – of the way that Georgia won last weekend, like if they had gone and just beat up on Missouri, it would have been different, but I'm sure those Georgia players have gone through a living hell this week in practice. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it's only Tuesday, by the way, (laughs) Um, they've still got two more days. Auburn just heading in. I I just, uh, this game is always a little tricky. You know, It, it, it always seems to bring out some kind of craziness, whether that be for one team or the other. Um, but I just I feel like this is Georgia's game to lose. I feel like Georgia's going to come out motivated, ready to go after what happened last week. And I, I just think you've got a wounded Tigers team right now. I think emotionally, mentally, physically with this football team, uh, they're just kind of beating up and they're trying to get to that bye week. And you've got a coaching staff that, Let's let's all be honest here. They 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 read the articles. They know what's going on on social media. Um, you know, I I I think that after the loss this weekend, that's when everybody should be on Harson watch. Come Sunday uh, until next week uh, against Ole Miss. I think in that time frame, I think it could be a wrap for Brian Harson with the way this team plays. And and, I'll, and look, and i I'll, and I'll say this: maybe this team comes out and rallies around Harson and they play a hell of a game at Georgia. Like that could be the case. But like I, you know, like I have an article coming out tomorrow. It's just, again, it's Groundhog Day. Every Monday, Brian Harson is having having to go in front of the media. Yesterday he answered questions on college football coaches getting fired across the country and and, and we all know what and why that question was asked. Um so I just look at it and I just think They're going to have a tough time this weekend against Stetson Bennett and their running game. And how beat up is Auburn right now coming off that LSU, that gritty LSU, unfortunate loss. But, um, But we'll see. That's why they play the game. Who would have thought that I'd be tuning into Missouri-Georgia at 10.30 on a Saturday night on the (laughs) SEC Network? That's right. That's right. Anything can happen in the SEC, guys.
1: You're, You're exactly right. We've got Trey Wallace who covers the SEC for Outkick here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Trey, we appreciate you coming on and talking to us, man. It's always a good time. Let everybody know where they can keep up with you and everything you're doing.
6: Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate you guys so much. You can follow me on Twitter at Trey Wallace underscore, follow on my work, outkick.com. I'll be heading to Baton Rouge this weekend, and uh, we'll see how good of a game we get down there. And hopefully, hopefully you guys get a good game in Athens this weekend, and and we'll see where things are next Tuesday when we chat. (laughs)
1: Yeah, we're hoping for it, man. We'll see how it goes. Enjoy your trip to Baton Rouge. That is Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for Al Kigg, joining us here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line. We always enjoy having him on. we got to get to our final break real quick. We'll come back and wrap up the Tuesday edition of On the Line.
0: You are on the line on ESPN 1067, online at ESPNAU.com, or on the ESPN 1067 app.
1: Wrapping up the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Jacob Goeth, Carter Bird with you on ESPN 1067. 7 Auburn, Opelika sports leader. Big, big thank you to Trey Wallace, who covers the SEC for OutKick. We have him on every Tuesday. We've been doing that since football season started, and uh, it's always a a great conversation. It's been really fun having him on. So we enjoy and appreciate him giving us his time on Tuesday afternoons. Make sure you go and follow his coverage. He's got an Auburn article coming out tomorrow on OutKick, so make sure uh, you go and find that. And Carter, during the that conversation the uh, judge watch was continuing <laughs> and yet again Aaron judge ground out to first
2: unfortunately our long national nightmare continues it continues i, I was i was yeah. very much hoping hoping it was going to end in the middle of our, our our conversation with Trey just so we we could mention hey Trey guess what no more live cut-ins in the football game. So we could
1: cut into Trey Wallace coverage to talk about Aaron Judge? Yes. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. No, he grounded out again. Don't worry. He's still at 61 as the game is it's almost over. Happening. It's it, not happening. It's not happening. It's not going to happen. I'm telling you. It's not happening. But um, as we wrap up this Tuesday edition of On the Line again, we appreciate Trey Wallace coming on the show. Um, he's going to Tennessee LSU. I think that's a great game this weekend. I think it's going
2: to be a really, really, really good game. I think it's it's – to me, I think that atmosphere, has it has to impact and make up the point differential there because Tennessee is a better team, and we know that for a fact. Mm-hmm. They are a better team than LSU. That atmosphere needs to account for more than your typical home field advantage. How big is it that it's an 11 a.m. kickoff in Baton Rouge?
1: I mean, that... You got blessed if you're Tennessee going to an it's 11 a.m. Sellout, kickoff. Though.
2: It's a, it, it, they did sell it out. Oh, I, it's still going to be loud,
1: much. but it's like playing at Auburn. Weird things happen at LSU when it when the sun goes down. I mean, that's just how it goes. It's same thing with Auburn. So it's like the atmosphere this past weekend against uh, against LSU. It was a great atmosphere at Jordan Hare.
2: I truly wish that the Auburn Georgia game was the 11 a.m. kick and they moved that one to 2:30. It would just yeah, it would make. It would make me feel better about what's going to transpire on Saturday. I don't want the whole country to be able to watch what's going to happen. in <laughs> Oh, but they're
1: going to get to watch it, brother. Well, hey, if you missed any of today's show, be sure to go and find the podcast. Just search on the line wherever you get your podcast or at ESPNAU.com. You can enter the SEC Football Challenge there as well. Make sure you get your picks in for week six of the college football season. Our sponsors, the Orthopedic Clinic, Buffalo Rock, Pepsi, uh, Wickles Pickles. They're all giving you – enjoy. Johnny Bruce goes they're giving you great prizes all week long it's the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck from four to six coming up right here on ESPN 1067 come back tomorrow from two to four though for on the line stay safe I'll talk to you later